HEG Media presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Ada Romano and Lingo Dean, sit down with Associate Fellow, Systems Engineer, Senior Staff for Lockheed Martin Aeronautics and 2022 Bayer STEM Conference, Linda Gooden, Legacy Awardee, Latasha Starr, for a conversation on Esteemed Dreamers. Up first, is Career Communication Group's Assistant Editor, Ada Romano. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Latasha Starr. Starr began her career as a systems engineer for Lockheed Martin Space in 2007. Less than a year later, Latasha was one of 15 engineers throughout Lockheed Martin Space to participate in the Engineering Leadership Development Program. Star has embraced challenges with technical excellence, taking on the responsibility of designing, testing, and validating solar telescopes to monitor the sun's activity. In addition to her duties at Lockheed Martin Aeronautics, Star is also the CEO of Esteem Dreamers a nonprofit that strives to improve the academic success rate of local youth by providing opportunities for STEM-focused summer camps, tutoring, and after-school activities throughout the school year. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Ada Romano and Lango Dean. Hi, Natasha. Thank you for joining us. We're so excited to have you here. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, it's been a busy day here, but we're so happy to have you. And I'm so excited to talk to you because uh, you're one of our Bayo winners for 2022. So it's an honor, really. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. So I wanted to start off what we like to call our winners here, superheroes. We have quite a few people on the staff that uh, really like superhero movies. And so we go back to our guests as superheroes. And we want to talk to you about your origin story and kind of your background and how you got started in STEM. Um, so if you could just tell me a little bit about where you came from and, and how did you choose to pursue a career in STEM? Yeah, sure. And again, thank you so much. Thank you to Career Communications for having me, for taking time for this chat. Um, you know, my STEM journey was kind of unpredictable yet planned all at the same time. I say unpredictable because um, growing up in Memphis in the inner city, it's, it's really interesting because a lot of stereotypes that are placed on um, African-American girls, especially for me, um, born to a single mother, even though I, I knew my father and um, he was always a part of my life from day one, but just that initial stereotype of growing up in poverty, um, you know, growing up at my grandmother's house for the first five years of my life, you know, those stereotypes don't necessarily equal an engineer or an associate fellow or a professor or a nonprofit, you know, executive director. Those things don't necessarily lead to that path. And that's why I say it was unpredictable. However, despite the circumstances that I was born into, um, my parents, my grandmother always, you know, had those high expectations for me when it came to um, academics and professionalism. 
And so those things were instilled in me very early. Um, my father was a math teacher at a local school um, in Memphis, and he actually earned his engineering degree from Tennessee State University as well. And so I'm legacy when it comes to TSU. And so my mother, she dropped out of college when she had me. However, she went on to go back to school and she got her degree in healthcare administration. And she also got a master's, um, an MBA. And so when I think about just the resilience, the grit and grind that they had um, as young parents, to pass that on to me was kind of that torch that I needed. It was that fire that was lit under me to be all that I could. And they made sure that I was exposed to summer camps and make sure that they made sure that I spoke correct English and they made sure that I did all of my homework. And so that extra push just kind of set the foundation for excellence in academics. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, um, I'm sure your parents are proud of you. And I say, well, I'm proud of them because there were so many opportunities to quit or so many opportunities to kind of um, lay down and, and bow under the pressure of um, what's common and what's easy. And so for them to continue to persevere in the midst of all the obstacles in their way, you know, I have to pay honor to them. I would say that one of the first recollections that I have of being introduced to STEM at an early age, um, my mom, again, who was in the healthcare industry, she actually worked at St. Jude, which is in St. Jude Children's Research Center, which is in Memphis, Tennessee. And I remember going to work with her one day and um, just bring your kid to work day and just hanging out. And one of the things that I noticed as we were walking to the cafeteria uh, was a group of doctors and nurses that I had quite frequently seen. However, there were a group of, um, you know, people walking with the doctors and nurses that were dressed kind of in polos and, and pants and slacks, and they had clipboards, and they were, I was like, Mom, you know, who are those? And she said, oh, those are the biomedical engineers, you know. Um, they come in to help with the prosthetics for the cancer patients. And just because they didn't have to wear, you know, the lab coats and they were kind of just chill, I was like, all right, that sounds like a great profession. Um, I actually, in all throughout elementary, junior high school, high school gifted, and one of the opportunities being part of that TAG program was to enroll in an optional magnet type school at East High School within the high school. So there was engineering, uh, engineering pathway and there was a health sciences pathway. So I got, I chose the engineering pathway. And when I graduated with honors from high school, I graduated with that engineering expertise, even as a high schooler. So I took that straight to Tennessee State University where I enrolled in engineering as well as biology. I knew that I wanted to combine the sciences with technology to see all that that could afford. And just right into my freshman year at Tennessee State University, under um, the leadership of the engineering department, which is a great department um, and one of the top engineering departments within the HBCU system. I was able to experience internships like at NASA Ames over the summer, um, NASA research programs directly on the campus of Tennessee State University as I was a student. So I was working as a researcher while I was still a student. And I was also able to participate in the MARC program, and a lot of biologists um, know that program very well. So I had that really nice balance of research, internship experience, 
um, as an undergraduate student at Tennessee State University. Actually, myself and four other, four other teammates or students at Tennessee State, we were actually part of the first HBCU team to participate in NASA Johnson Space Center's um, Microgravity University. Just to give you a little bit of background on that, it's also known as the Vomit Comet. So you're on board the KC-135. You're participating in 30 to 40 parabolas uh, consistently, which is why they call it the Vomit Comet. And um, you're able to take an experiment that you design on board that plane to test um, that experiment in microgravity or low gravity conditions. So we were the first HBCU team to do that and still very proud of that to this day. So just experiences like that definitely shaped my desire to pursue STEM full-time upon graduation. When I left Tennessee State University um, after graduating, I went straight into grad school um, at the University of Washington where I continued uh, to pursue engineering. And when I graduated from the University of Washington with my master's degree in engineering, I got my first job at Lockheed Martin. And that was back in 2007, and that's how it all started. Nice, so that's all really inspiring. And you always had this idea of engineering as a career. That's just something that you always knew you would do. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Again, it was something that was instilled, the sciences, the technology and math were always instilled as part of um, my upbringing. And so engineering really became just a convenient um, pathway that was there and available, even though I didn't know any engineers in my family, because even though my dad graduated with an engineering degree from Tennessee State, he went into teaching and he went into math. So I didn't know anyone before me who had gone into industry with their engineering degree. And so to be the first to do that in my family was also motivation as well. Okay. So is that what motivates you now uh, with your career is your family and kind of your upbringing? Absolutely. You know, being from Memphis, um, there's such a negative stereotype um, associated with, which is, which is, you know, unfair in a lot of ways. Um, I think, well, I know that I come from a great city. I have it's so much love and so much support there, um, despite the violence or what the media, you know, tries to portray. There's so much community and so much rallying behind um, those who want to do well and those who want to succeed. There are so many um, opportunities, both at the secondary and post-secondary level. And I think that's what kind of motivated me and not, to, not only to do well for my parents, my family, uh, my city, but also to form my nonprofit. So as you mentioned in the beginning, um, I have a nonprofit organization focused on STEM education. It's called Esteem Dreamers. And Esteem is to build that confidence that I was talking about to pursue these pathways that may be atypical to someone like myself. And what's beautiful about it is that when I named the company, um, I thought about the esteem or the confidence that one needed to pursue these things. But if you look at the name, esteem, E-S-T-E squared M, it stands for education in science, technology, engineering, entrepreneurship, and math. That double E, that second E for entrepreneurship, that's what I think is lacking in a lot of STEM programs because there's something about the ability to communicate the ability to present what you've created, the ability to talk about the product that you've designed and to be able to sell it or branch off and create your own if needed. And so I think that's the confidence that I want to instill in the next generation of STEM professionals. 
That's awesome. And I know that you're making Memphis proud. Thank you. Yeah. So for High Tech Sunday, we like to give kind of a spiritual connection to what your career is. So for example, there are people who are motivated by their spiritual background, uh, whatever that may be. What is your spiritual background and how does that play into your career? So that's a great question. So for me, um, my parents and especially my grandmother as the matriarch of the family was very religious. Um, definitely we um, went to church every Sunday, but I think it's what we did after church that made so much of the difference in terms of family, community, and spirituality and making sure all of that was tied together. So after church, we would gather at my grandmother's house, everyone, uh, for that Sunday dinner. So, you know, when you see movies like Soul Food, you know, you, you live it. So it's really awesome to kind of experience that spiritual side and that connection with other members of the community, but then to go home and continue that with your own family. Again, I think that's what really gives you the confidence as an individual, knowing that you're loved, knowing that um, you have that strong foundation. And then around those tables, we would have conversations about our ancestors. We would have conversations about her mother, you know, my grandmother's mother, her father. Um, even though they didn't live locally, they were one of the first to kind of leave Memphis and kind of head west. So actually have connections to Los Angeles and things like that. But you know, to, for her to speak of them and their bravery and to speak of them and how they overcome and how they continue to overcome, but how they overcame so many struggles as African-Americans in the South, to me, that is the spiritual continuation that happens when you leave church and you're around your table. And I think that reminds you of how strong you are and how strong you can be for obstacles that you have yet to face. And I think that is the spirituality that um, as an African-American woman, I have taken into every situation that I've had, every opportunity that I've had. I've been reminded of how fortunate I am and how every opportunity is a gift. And that is the spiritual transformation that I think had to take place for me in order to be able to function at such a high level um, in the midst of, you know, microaggressions or discrimination or some of the things that we may face in the workplace. I think the fact that you have an opportunity that maybe your ancestors did not have, that is spiritual in itself. That's renewing in itself. Um, I think that's also encouraging and that what you need to kind of catapult you to the next level, that all of your ancestors and all of that energy and all of that um, pride and all of that well wishes are kind of behind you. So I think that pushes you to go to the next level, it also catches you when you fall and reminds you of how you want to take things to the next level in a way that they may not have been able to. Oh, that's beautiful, Natasha. So you did bring up the Esteem Dreamer, uh, you are the founder. And I uh, wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, but I wanted to ask you first, you are a 2022 Bayer Linda Gooden Legacy Awardee. Tell us about when you found out that you won this award and, and what it means to you. Oh my gosh. Um, when I found out I won that award, it was breathtaking because when you think about Linda Gooden and all that she represents for Lockheed Martin, all that she represents outside of Lockheed Martin as a woman, as an African-American in STEM, as a 
leader in technology. You know, for our names to even be in the same sentence, I have no idea how that happened, but I'm just grateful. And, you know, I feel like, you know, she's my aunt that's just pulling me, you know, and saying, come on, girl, you know, following my footsteps. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. You know, how can I not? So I'm just excited to embody as much as I can what she means to stem what she means to Lockheed Martin and what her legacy means to all who aspire to achieve excellence in technology, excellence in STEM. When I think about her name, I think about her story and the legacy at Lockheed Martin with her being, you know, an executive vice president. It just boggles my mind on all that she was able to achieve and all that she was able to inspire. The people that, you know, fortunately I had the privilege of joining Lockheed Martin before she retired, but even my mentee and mentees that I have, I tell them about her, even though they weren't there when she was there and they didn't have the opportunity to hear her address leaders at a conference or speak in different um, avenues. Even though they weren't there, I repeat a lot of her sayings, a lot of her encouragements, and a lot of her leadership skills, I try to my best to embody. And so the fact that I was selected as her legacy awardee it just confirms that I'm on the right track. It's actually, it causes me to step back and say, how else can I ensure that this legacy continues? It causes me to reflect her name in and of itself, what she's done, what she was able to accomplish during her time at Lockheed Martin. That is fuel to my fire. It is the launch pad that, again, propels me into the next level, and it refuses to allow me to quit. It refuses to allow me to have reservations about taking things to the next level. And I think that is the encouragement that we all need. And I hope that I can continue her legacy and continue to spread her leadership in every avenue and every opportunity that I have. So we did talk a little bit about where you grew up, and you grew up in Tennessee, uh, actually not too far from the neighborhood where the entertainer and rapper Young Dolph was shot and killed. So can you tell us a little bit of why it's important for you to give back to your neighborhood and why it's important for young people to see people like you who come from similar backgrounds and who look like them being so successful? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, we called him the king of Memphis. So uh, rest in peace, Young Dolph. He was such an encouragement to so many, and he did really good things for our city. And I think that is what I aim to do, although I can't live there because my career and my family and my husband's family is in Texas. So I'm here, but even if you're not physically located in a place, how can you still have impact? How can you still have um, that presence where your legacy continues and how can you still give back in a way that transforms lives. And I think that's what the story that you should take away from his untimely death, um, his passion for our city and his passion for giving back and the youth and his passion for transformation and to see things different. So for me, I kind of see a lot of the media, you know, want to focus on the tragedy I would like to focus 
on his life, focus on the, all that my city has to offer in terms of community and um, in terms of passion for each other and support for each other, even in the midst of dark times. We've seen Memphis as, you know, be that for so many as a pillar in the civil rights movement. Um, we've seen Memphis um, as the hub of transportation with FedEx and um, other entities within the city. So it's so many good things to rally behind. And it's that grit and grind uh, that my city embodies that I take everywhere I go. So even if I'm not able to be there in person or in a physical basis, everyone knows that I'm going to speak about Memphis and speak about the great leaders that come from Memphis and continue to come from Memphis um, because of that mentality to keep going no matter what. So I think, you know, this spotlight that has been shone on my city in this particular time, I think it's one of reflection, but I also think it's a call to a higher level to continue to be great and continue to rise above circumstances um, that may occur and circumstances that may seem to knock you out and knock you down. And that's really what my city embodies. Definitely. And you do have mentors within your career that you've talked about, but growing up, can you tell me about some of the mentors that you had in early age and, and what role they played for you in your career and how you've lived your life? Yeah, I've had several mentors throughout my career. There's no way I can name them all. But when I think about some of my earliest mentors that kind of set me up for success, I would say, and they did that in a number of ways. Not only did they provide opportunities for me to um, explore something different, to be exposed to something different, but they also provided opportunities for me to help others and to teach others and show others the way to success and the way to um, the next level. And I think for me, that combination of let me help you, but also let me show you how to help others, I think that has defined my career. I think that has defined my relationships in terms of being a mentor myself, but it's also led to other ways of impact, such as the nonprofit. Um, such as the LLC, the business um, opportunities that I've been able to engage in. It's also paved the way for me to be a professor um, for engineering. It's opened up so many doors where it has allowed me to think of things differently. And just by having various mentors for various topics at various stages of my life, I have been able to kind of put those pieces together and it's created a more diverse me, a more empathetic me, um, someone who looks at things from a very top level perspective and someone who has been able to embrace various ideas beyond my individual experiences. And I think that's what a mentor does. They elevate and they push you to the next level and they push you to think about things and talk to people and to place yourself in scenarios that you may not have placed yourself in organically, just so you can be exposed. Therefore, you can talk about your experiences. And so for those mentors that 
have done that for me. Um, I'm extremely grateful and I have taken that advice and taken that display of courage and bravery and helpfulness and I used it to empower others. And I think that has been the legacy um, so far in my career that I'm most proud of. I do want to get into a quote from your dad. Um, so he goes, whatever you want to do with resilience and faith, you can achieve it. And that was something that your father told you. Can you explain to, to us what it means to you and how you've applied this to your life? Absolutely. So my dad wasn't a big spiritual person, but when he talked about faith, he not only talked about it in the terms of believing, um, but he also talked about it in regards to doing. He was just, he just showed you faith. Like, okay, dad, I want to go travel here or dad, I want to go start, you know, this business or start this nonprofit. He's the first person to write the check. So that was his way of showing faith as an action, as a verb. And so that was very crucial to me when I became, you know, when I stepped out on my own. You have to keep in mind, when I left Memphis, I was 18. I haven't lived in Memphis since because my career has taken me so many different places. You know, in the summer, when you, you think, oh, you know, we're in between semesters, it's time to go home. No, I got on a plane. One summer I was in Madrid working at the Centro de Astrobiología, working at the Center of Astrobiology because there was a project about the Rio Tinto River um, and why it was red and studying the river and studying to see if there was life living in that high iron content. Could that give us some indication of life on Mars? So this was my summer versus being home you know, hanging out, waiting for the fall semester to begin. But it was my dad saying, oh, go. Don't worry about us. We'll be fine. Send us pictures. Um, he was that type of faith guy for me. And he was also my biggest fan and my biggest encourager when it comes to being resilient. Dad, I'm not really sure I can take a summer and go work at the, you know, because I was selected for a Mars Desert Research station um, program sponsored by NASA in the middle of Utah. So here I am in the middle of Utah for two weeks. We're going through the different phases of an astronaut or, you know, what it would be like to live on Mars. And we're living in a Mars habitat simulation. And, you know, we're, we, there's a greenhouse out back and we're on ATVs and we're riding through the terrain and we're collecting samples. And, but it's two weeks, no cell phone. No, you know, so for my, for my dad to tell me, oh, you'll be fine, go. Well, dad, I don't know anyone. Go, you know, that was, you. it takes resilience to do that because you're all alone. You wanna be home with your friends. You haven't been home to see your family. But instead of the summertime being downtime for me, the summertime was, was really uptime. It's time to get up and it's time to get internships and it's time to build your resume. So you can have these experiences, so you can speak to these experiences. So you can build a career that you want. It's that combination of the resilience to try new things, the resilience it takes to be exposed to new things, and the faith to walk through those doors. And so I credit my dad for, you know, 
giving me that encouragement, giving me that pat on the back. Um, and he's definitely the one that pushed me to go and to do with resilience and faith. So hats off to him. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely know from personal experience that having the support from your parents can make a huge difference uh, when you're young and impressionable. Absolutely. Yeah, so we know that you have a passion for giving back to your community, and we've mentioned that your organization helps students in STEM. Can you tell us a little bit more about your organization and the target audience and, and how you want to make a difference with your organization? Yeah, absolutely. So again, the same dreamers, giving young girls the confidence to dream, to be esteemed to dream. So one of the ways that we do that, and we actually work with um, all students who are interested in STEM or who want to be exposed to STEM on a higher level. But we have special programs and special activities for girls who look like me um, because they want to see someone, touch someone, that tangibility to say, hey, if you did it, could I possibly do it? And that's where that dream and that wonder comes in. And that's why we call the nonprofit organization the Same Dreamers. So my co-founder and I, we, um, she has her PhD in math, and um, I have two master's degrees in engineering. And so we develop all the curriculum. We develop all of the after-school programs, the um, experiment kits that we mail out every um, month across literally these uh, STEM kits go around the world and they arrive at your door once a month. The cool thing about our STEM kits is that they have four to five activities within those kits. Um, so that keeps the kids busy all month long until the next, until the next kid arrives. And again, there's, it sparks wonder and it sparks imagination. So it really gives them that confidence that they may not get in school that they may not get within their community. It gives them the confidence to dream and it gives them um, that tangibility and that relatability factor with other African-American women in STEM who have um, went down the road and who continue to go down the road that a lot of these girls would like to go down as well. So one of the projects that we're currently working on, I'm very, very excited about, we're currently filming a documentary and this documentary is has been kind of <laughs> in my mind for so long because it's the type of documentary I would have wanted to see. And now that I'm in position to create these documentaries and create these activities and different um, opportunities for young girls, it's just a dream come true even for me. So with the same dream is I'm giving these girls the opportunity to dream bigger, but I'm also allowing myself to do so as well, which is why I think this is so powerful. But the documentary, it's called STEM Roots. And we are taking these girls through the genealogy and genetic engineering process, which you know involves engineering, chemistry, biology. So we're using the sciences and the en and engineering to pull them in. And once we have their attention, we're showing them how STEM can teach them more about who they are. So we're tying in STEM and genetics to genealogy and ancestry. Why this is so important is because as African-American women, a lot of us um, don't have the privilege of knowing 
where we come from. Uh, Africa is a whole continent. So where in Africa? Tell us more. And when you think about the power um, that comes from knowing who you are, the confidence that comes from knowing where you come from, it's something magical that happens um, when you're able to connect to a history that is vibrant and um, a history that is something to be proud of. So we want to give those girls that opportunity through STEM to learn more about their heritage. This documentary takes them through the journey of discovering who they are using ancestry uh, DNA tests um, via African ancestry. So not only are they learning more about Africa, the particular country they're from, but even down to the tribe. And more importantly, they're learning about the STEM process, the genetic DNA analysis that has to take place in order to take their DNA and to go through the analytical process to discover how their DNA matches um, that same DNA of tribes in Africa today. Making that connection, bridging the communities together between African-American and African communities creates this bridge and creates this fellowship that doesn't organically exist. So we're able to expose them to STEM, we're able to build empathy between the two parties, African and African-American, and we're also able to give them information that they have never had before and their families have never had before. So we're connecting the dots for them. We're both in who they are and how STEM can help them learn more about their communities, their families, and how STEM could propel them into a career that for years to come, that they would, that they can be STEM professionals, they can see themselves in STEM, and STEM can help them find out more about who they are. So we're so excited about the project, we're so excited about what it means for them, and we're so excited to see their faces when they realize, oh gosh, you know, I could truly be a geneticist. Oh my, I didn't know that I was from the Igbo tribe of Nigeria. Those two conversations are meshing and it's beautiful. So we're just happy to bring that experience to these young girls. And what's the impact that you wish for this documentary to have on the audience, especially the younger audience? We want them to have a new walk, to have a new talk, to have new conversations, have conversations that they weren't able to have before because they didn't have the knowledge before. We want them to see themselves in a different light. We want them to learn more about um, the tribe that they come from. Were they entrepreneurs? Were they farmers? Were they, you know, um, warriors? What made your tribe special? Could that be an indication of some of the things that make you special? We want to connect them to something greater than the transatlantic slave trade. We want to connect them to something greater than, you know, poverty or being, you know, all the things that we're taking from them as African-Americans. We want to give some of that back. And we want to do it in a way that also inspires them to pursue STEM um, and to open their eyes to what the power of engineering, biology, chemistry, physics can do for them and what that can do for their communities as well. That's amazing, Latasha. I'm sure that you're making a huge difference in these communities and I wish you so much luck with your documentary. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> Thank you so much. It, uh, we're expecting to release the documentary um, early next year. So just in a few weeks here, we're wrapping up on all the editing, but it's 
definitely going to be eye-opening and most of all, inspiring. That's so exciting. And with that, I'm gonna toss it over to my colleague, Lango Dean. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Ada Romano, Lango Dean, and our special guest, Associate Fellow, Systems Engineer, Senior Staff for Lockheed Martin Aeronautics and 2022 Bay of STEM Conference, Linda Gooden, Legacy Awardee, Latasha Starr. Now, back to the show. Thank you, Ada. It's great having you on the show. And of course, uh, welcome to our guest. It's a fascinating conversation between you and Ada. Congratulations on winning the award. Um, like you said, Linda Gooden is just such a, a shero. Um, and um, she's been an inspiration to many, many people over the years. Um, as I listen to you talk about self-esteem, we know now after the pandemic and during the pandemic, how mental health is so very important. It's all a part of your confidence building. So how are you inspiring self-esteem in young people? Um, because this is such a critical issue now. You talked about having support that pushes you when, to get to the next level and support that it catches you when you fall. So how are you doing that through STEM? That's a great question. So my husband actually is a psychotherapist. He is a mental health um, behavioral therapist as well. And I can't, you know, take all the credit for a lot of the mental health and growth mindset techniques that he, um, that is actually used as part of our um, STEM approach. He's definitely assisted me with understanding more about the psychology behind confidence and the psychology behind self-esteem building and development. So having him as my partner and my husband is a very valuable resource because he's able to, as a master level therapist, he's able to directly impact how my approach and our company's approach to STEM confidence development. And so things like, you know, the growth mindset again and building the confidence by understanding what obstacles are interrupt the confidence building process. I think that's what he's been able to shed most light on, especially what type of obstacles affect certain demographics, what type of obstacles mostly stand in the way for girls in this age group, for boys in this age group, for kids of all ages that are maybe part of a socioeconomically deprived community? What type of obstacles do they need to be addressed before they can fully embrace the STEM education that you're trying to offer? So he works hand in hand with me to help develop content that really speaks to their situation. For example, I would say this summer, we were able to partner with Lancaster High School, which is here in the DFW area. And this past summer, we, were, we actually did an internship program for 11 of their students. And with that program, not only did we offer hands-on project-based learning, and again, just seeing the faces of the students and seeing them light up as they solve a problem or they connect 
all of the wires together in our electronics kit where they're able to see the light bulb come on or the propeller on the helicopter spin. That moment when their eyes get real big, I know that we've, at that moment, we've built confidence and we've showed them that through exploration, they're able to achieve things that they did not believe they could achieve five minutes before. So with that particular population, not only through hands-on experimentation, project-based learning, are we able to develop this confidence. But more specifically, we, we brought in engineers, we brought in scientists from Fortune 500 companies to speak with the students via a webinar, and we combine those two together. So now we have the hands-on project where they're taking ownership, they're their own project managers, and they're completing these tasks that they didn't believe that they could complete. But also we're combining that with, underscoring that with engineers and scientists coming in, taking their lunch break time out of their day to, to speak to them on Zoom and say, hey, what, what questions would you like to ask? And what's important about that What's important about reaching that community in that way is that some of these students have never talked to an engineer before, have never seen an engineer before. So they had all these questions that were bottled up, but they had no one to reach out to or no one to talk to prior to this engagement. So again, the confidence that's built there is, oh my, this person would take time out to speak with me. This person knows where Lancaster High School is. This person cares enough to take time out of their day. And not only are they showing up for a whole hour, but they're answering any questions that I have. So again, our growth mindset approach on all levels, because we actually start at pre-K. So we're working with three-year-olds, which is amazing. And again, having my husband there as a licensed professional counselor to help me every step of the way develop this curriculum that incorporates that growth mindset, but also to take it all the way to the high school and collegiate level and show these students that through hands-on experimentation and coupled with mentoring and seminars and high-level discussions on what STEM could practically do for them and how they need to prepare from this point on so that STEM coaching, that, that leadership coaching, all of that combined creates a resilient STEM professional um, and a STEM student that can lean on some of these foundational truths to, again, take them to the next level when it comes to their career and when it comes to their own professional development. And it's just been wonderful to see that transformation as these students matriculate through our program. Sounds like a great collaboration between your husband and, and yourself. You're not just man and wife, you are collaborators in this great adventure to inspire young people, a whole generation of, of people. So speaking still to that audience in that high school and, and to those pre-K students as well, um, now you know those foundational truths that it, it really doesn't matter where you're from or who you are or who your parents are, what you did. If, if, if you get the STEM part of it right and the support networks are in place, you're gonna go places, right? So speaking to that community, because you don't, you don't, I guess you don't have that many um, poster girls and boys yet that you can point to. So what would you say to them in terms of the doors that have been open for you? Yeah, I would say, you know, and that's 
why I was so excited to do this interview because we, when we talk about spiritual connections, I think that is the big takeaway that there has been something placed in each of us that resides on the inside that it's like a flower, you know, just waiting to bloom with the right ray of sunshine. With my nonprofit, with the legacy that I hope that I'm leaving, it is my hope that I am that ray of sunshine that allows that flower to bloom. I can't take credit for putting the flower there. Um, I can't take credit for all of the watering or the feeding or the potting that had to happen. But sometimes it's that ray of sunshine at the end that says, I see you. Come out. You know, be your best. So I would say that for me, through my experiences, through all of the, 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 the master's at University of Washington and then going on to get a second master's at University of Texas at Arlington, the leadership development programs, um, the associate fellow, I'm hoping that each of those things provide a ray of sunshine for someone to open up just a little bit and say, is this possible for me? Could I do this? How do I get involved? Could I be next? And once we get that little crack of opening, then we can begin to nurture. We can begin to um, encourage. We can begin to just pour love on, pour to share that connection. So now my flower starts to talk to your flower. And, you know, we're all blooming here. That is the goal. And so I think spirituality is in everything we do. And I think there's an empathy that we try to create. Do you know when the little three-year-olds are in my after-school program, it doesn't matter about color. It doesn't matter about gender. All these things that adults have conversations about, those kids don't even care. They're just like, oh my gosh, we have, a, we have elephant toothpaste. And now we want to see how much elephant toothpaste can come out, you know? So that collaboration. So what am I teaching at that point? I'm teaching collaboration. All the things you need when you finally get to, you know, industry or when you get to college and you start working together. Okay, can we solve a problem? Can, do we, you know, can we work together to get this done? Can we mix some ingredients together and see what happens? That creativity, that curiosity. Those are the things that I'm trying to bring back. That's the legacy that I want to leave. And again, as three-year-olds, they're building empathy for each other. They are learning to work with, you know, it's like, oh, you know, we need to have, you know, training about how to work with women in the workplace. No, we just need to start younger, <laughs> let them play together, let them, you know. And so I'm seeing all of these, you know, conflicts um, really self-adjudicate. So, I'll, you know, a kid drops part of their experiment and they're over there crying. The other kid comes and pats them on the back. All oh, this is organic. How do we keep this going? At what point do we lose this? That's the esteem that I'm talking about. The esteem that comes from working with each other, the esteem that comes from even individual work where you're just like, oh my gosh, I have to figure this out. I'm not moving until this is done. And then when you accomplish it, that's part of the esteem. And not to mention the esteem that comes from other people taking time out of the day just to say, you know what, I believe in you and I'm here to answer any question you have about engineering and I'm here to talk to you about how to get to the next level. I'm here to coach you through your STEM program and I'm here. That's what I wanted to see. And that's not necessarily what I had coming along. I can't lie and say that I had it, but I'm going to make sure 
that there is a generation that does have it. And that's the inspiration behind the Seeing Dreamers. That's the inspiration behind this Legacy Award. That's what I see when I see Linda Good's name. And that's what she did for me. And that's what I want to do for others. And it's just, it's that ray of sunshine that I hope that I shine everywhere. And if you don't like it, put shades on. <laughs> I'm not apologetic about it. I want to bring this energy to the world. And I just appreciate the platform that I've been given to do so. That's wonderful news, but I'm going to press you a little bit because we live in an age of cynicism. Um, and so how do you get past, I mean, President Obama talked about it eight, 10 years ago. How do you get past that cynicism to get to the young people? Because like you say, with young people, connections and friendship and relationships and sorting out, you know, difficult moments is just so organic, you know? So how do you get past the policymakers and the leaders and the decision makers who are cynical, who do have an impact on a program like, like yours? Well, you have to look for the opportunities to have impact. For instance, right now, we are being considered for a major grant that addresses learning loss due to the pandemic. So there's mm -hmm. a door that's open now that may not have been open two years ago because, you know, at one point they were saying, our district doesn't have enough money to give everybody laptops. So then COVID happened. Everybody has laptops. Where did that money come from? Not really sure. But guess what? I'm glad that there are some students who have technology in the homes now that didn't have it before. So here, here we come with, a, with our virtual YouTube videos on how to do STEM experiments. We're able to now come into that home and we have, you know, family nights where parents are like, okay, can you show me how to um, do that experiment again? You know, the one where you put the mentos in and you have the rocket, you know, so we, we are now transforming entire families. You know, I may have set out to have a moment with a pre-K, you know, three-year or even the autistic community, you know, um, my son, he has been diagnosed with autism. And so we have now been asked by several autism communities to come in and to have STEM activities where these students can be themselves. There's no limitation on how they STEM but they can come in and they can do these experiments and we've seen their confidence um, increase as well. We've seen the neuro, neurodiverse community be able to um, work STEM experiments in a way that works for them. And again, without judgment and that empathy that I talked about earlier. So you may have some parents, you may have some government law officials, anyone who may be cynical at first or skeptic, but I welcome them to just take a moment and come in one of our classrooms. I address the things that they care about, which is learning loss, but then when I come in, I'm actually building the confidence for those students that was also diminished along with the learning loss. So I'm able to see some of the real issues that lie underneath to address the issues that they may have concerns about. And also I would say one really important thing that I've been able to accomplish and I'm most proud of is relating STEM 
to communities that did not see themselves in STEM in the first place. So maybe creating a cell phone app to track how many three-pointers Steph Curry has made so far. He's almost about to break the record. So we'll, we'll tailor the content to the things they care about. We'll make it relatable. And once we've done that, the cynicism seems to be removed and the door opens for those conversations. And that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on, um, taking the time to know our audience and know our community. That's wonderful. I'd like you to come back one day and talk about neurodiversity in STEM. But for now, just for a couple of minutes before I turn it back to Ada, just tell us what East Steam Dream, I hope I'm saying it right, is all about again. And uh, maybe the other things at Lockheed Martin and just tell the audience about that program some more and we'll throw it back to Ada. Yeah, thank you again. So esteem dreamers, think of us with three major words. We call it the three C's. It's building competence because you got to know your stuff. In no way are we diminishing the need for academic excellence. That's always at the forefront. So once you've built the competence, we also want you to build the confidence. We want you to be resilient. We want you to be um, able to communicate with anyone in the boardroom about what you've done and to do it with boldness, but to do it with a certainty about who you are and what you know. And the last thing I would say is we make sure that we instill creativity. Have fun. There's no way you're going to want to continue if you're not enjoying. So we make sure that it's creative moments with others. It's creative moments with the experiments themselves. And we make sure that we fill the gap because a lot of times in school, there's such a focus on passing the state exam, but there's really no fun built in. So we take the curriculum from the state and we line it up with our approach to confidence building, creativity and competence building. And we make sure that we're meeting state regulations, but we're doing it in a fun way. And we're doing it in a way that when the student is finished, that they feel better about themselves and they're ready to tackle the next experiment. So that's one of the things that I think is so special about the STEAM builders and the STEAM dreamers. It gives you the power to dream. It gives you the confidence to build. And that, that is our legacy. That's what we stand on. And we've seen it change not only communities, not only students, but entire families. And we've seen their attitudes towards STEM shift in a way that's positive, in a way that they can now become the main cheerleaders and the biggest fans of their own children. That's wonderful. The power to dream and the confidence to build. Thank you again, Natasha. Over to you, Ada. Thanks, Lanko. So, Natasha, one thing that I really wanted to ask you, um, kind of as we finish off here, you've talked a lot about how your organization with um, esteem builders and esteem dreamers, how they're helping students. Can you tell me a little bit, maybe an instance where you learned something from the students or the young people that you are mentoring? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think for me, they have provided a sense of hunger and a sense of determination that sometimes I forget because I'm so busy or you know I have kids of my own and so they will pull on you like no other. So they're emailing you, you know, Professor Starr, you know, can you please provide more experiments? I finished my kit early. I'm like, oh my God, like you did it all today. Like this was supposed to be a month worth of 
my activities, you send it, you know, and the parents, they'll call, they'll say, okay, can you um, send another kid? I know it's the next one's not coming to the first, but so the hunger, right? The, and again, we make all of our, every experiment we create ourselves. So we are constantly saying, okay, do we have enough, you know, and we create them and we customize each experiment for each grade level. So it's like, we have like a pre-K, you know, three through maybe kindergarten or first, and then we have a whole nother group um, for, you know, middle schoolers. And then we have another experiment set for high schoolers. And so we think, you know, just when we sit back and be like, okay, we're up to 25 kids now for each grade level. So this is 75 different experiments. And we sit back and breathe. You know, we have robotics, we have chemistry, we have microorganisms, we have, you know, all kinds of topics. Of course, genetics, you know, DNA. And so we sit back and we're like, okay, well, we're going to take a break. And next thing you know, we'll get a call and someone will say, well, my kid's interested in forensics. So we'll go build a forensics kit, you know? So we, um, I would just say, you know, that's what these kids do for me. That's what these students do for me. They continue to ensure that I stay hungry and I stay ready and I stay ahead of the curve. They're counting on me to pull from industry what I'm learning as an associate fellow and to bring that to them in a way that is digestible, in a way that they can chew on, you know? So they're expecting me to take all these high-level concepts and deliver it um, to their particular comprehension level. And not to mention, we're adding with that the, the ability to be confident in everything that they do. So as we wrap up, you may ask, how do I do that? Again, we're putting motivational quotes inside these kids so they can reflect on these quotes all month long. One of my favorite quotes from our kids, we have a structure kit. And in that structure kit, the quote for that month is, I am strong because I know my weak point. And part of the structure kit is building bridges and building all kinds of uh, structures where if your weak points aren't addressed, if the stress and strain of those points aren't um, adjudicated, then your bridge will fall. But that's life lesson. And that's what I want to make sure is tangible and to make sure that these students know that STEM is life and life is STEM. And if I can get them to see that relatability and see how that connection is made, I believe then I'll have the type of STEM professionals that will go on to be successful and that will also inspire the next generation of STEM professionals. Wow, that's awesome to make that connection. Um, I would have never even thought of that. but. <laughs> That's great. And so uh, just to close us off with some of the projects, some of the really cool projects that you're working on, let our audience know where they can find you on social media, where they can watch your documentary, and then also where they can access your organization. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're also on Instagram at Athene Builders, E-S-T-E-2-M builders, B-U-I-L-D-E-R-S, the same for dreamers. And we also have a website, www.esteembuilders.com. And there, there's a link also to the nonprofit. That is awesome. Thank you so much. Are there any last words that you want to leave the audience with? Any words of motivation or inspiration? 
I would just say, um, just remember to keep going, to climb every mountain that's presented in front of you because you never know what the view is on the other side. That's awesome. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. You are so inspirational and I know that you're making a huge difference in the community. So with that, I'm going to toss it over to Brandon. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communication Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.